Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and well, we're 2 0 for only the fourth time since 1994 after dominating the Saints to win by one goal and 12 behinds. Joining us uh, tonight, our longtime Demon Lander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Yes, 2 and 0. And to quote Titus O'Reilly uh, just today, as Melbourne supporters, we're not getting ahead of ourselves, are we? But does anybody know a good tattooist? <laughs> <laughs> Better line line one up. Uh, uh, Bin Man, uh, also joining us tonight. Good evening, Bin Man. Good evening. Good evening, Demon Landers. And uh, I went to the first game of footy on the uh, Saturday night that I've been to since, uh, other than the Dogs practice game since um, the twenty. 19 season is that right um and uh it was just terrific to be at the ground and um enjoying it such a better game to watch live and um you know even makes the the um commentary less insufferable watching it uh, on the replay than having to watch it first time up and yeah loved it well, I I uh, I didn't get to watch it live. I had a uh, prior engagement. We had a fa- family function, so I I couldn't watch it. I was keeping track of the score, and that, having won the game, it certainly made it a lot more enjoyable for me to watch the replay after knowing we couldn't lose. But I was still nervous uh, at points in the in the game, uh, even though I knew the result. Uh, you never know with the D's. We could have lost it on the replay. Yes, <laughs> and I, I'm uh, pleased to report, Andy, that I mean, I guess you couldn't make it. It was the Docklands, but there was no sun. Though there was some pretty big spotlights that were shining on the crowd at the top deck I was in, so that probably would have frustrated you a little. Well, I'll just say that I didn't go because I had a function. It wasn't because it's on the other side of town, so uh, everyone relax. Um, let's let's get started. Uh, Cozzy, uh, what an excitement machine uh, this kid is. Every time he goes near the ball, you just know something electric is about to happen. The two goals uh, that he kicked, that, that was simply superb. Um, how he found space in all that traffic to kick the first was mind-boggling. Uh, there can't be many people left doubting uh, why we gave up a future first-round uh, pick to, to get him. Uh, George, are you, you excited about uh, our excitement machine? I think every Melbourne supporter is about this guy. He, um, he's only played a handful of games and we're already seeing that X factor that uh, we've been missing in the side for so many years. Um, he, he, he might have got only the two goals during the game, but there are a couple that he, um, uh, he went very, very close to um, uh, uh, emulating uh, uh, the best of it again. Um he was denied one by Neil Bull and getting in, in his way and uh, <laughs> and taking one out of the goal square for him. So overall, he could have easily had five goals and someday he will. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, and now that um, he's being used sort of as a shock troop in the middle, I'm reminded of when Clarkson used to do this at Hawthorne when he'd uh, just for one ball up uh, at a time, he'd move Cyril Rioli into the middle or Sean, Sean Sean Burgoyne into the middle. I think we've got the same type of player who's just electric and just provides that shock troop uh, uh, tactic um, that we, like I said, we haven't had before in in the years gone by. Yeah, I, m- I mentioned that last week, and and I think we utilise that tactic even more this week. Uh, but I love that he's starting into the guts definitely at the start of each quarter. Um, I, I'm not sure whether this tactic's just to get him into the action early or, or to throw off the opposition's, you know, their, 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 um, uh, you know, their, their 
matchups. Um, but I like it. I'm not opposed to putting him in the middle more, perhaps after a goal is kicked after every goal is kicked uh, and not necessarily as a mid at the moment that roams around the grounds, uh, but just as a centre bounce attendant uh, to add some spark, uh, Bin Man? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think as I talked about last week, I think that's part of the um, the setup in terms of the sort of the shift, the tactical shift that we might touch on later um, in terms of how they set up for clearances. My sense is that perhaps there's an element of, as you say, of getting him in the game and a bit of spark, but I think it's more... The, the two things he brings is his pressure and he was interviewed afterwards by Burgo, Burgo and, um, uh, you know, he's not the uh, most garrulous of uh, interview subjects and um, but he said, basically said the coaches, Goody and the other coaches have told him the number one thing he needs to focus in on and pretty much to the exclusion of everything else is pressure uh, and he, he mentioned that's the same for Nibbler um, and the other forwards, which I know we'll touch on as well. Um, so I think that it's more to do with maximising that at the beginning of the game. Um, if we lose that clearance, then he's got the pace and um, um, and to run down anyone who might break free for them. Um, but as it happened three times, I think, or at least two of the three times he was in the centre for at that um, first break, we got the clearance thanks to him. Um, and so his ability to to get the to get, Get a couple of get the ball and get a couple of steps to get some um, with his speed to get away from the tackler and handball on. Like the, the first one was brilliant to uh, eventually get it over to Oliver who handballed to um, Barney for the goal. I think that's more what that's about, um, and it creates a matchup problem immediately. Uh, and then he goes in the uh, the forward line. I looked at his stats and his heat map was really interesting. Um, pretty much all in the forward half, so very much. Um, a forward player, even though uh, he, he spent a bit of time in the middle. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's just fantastic. I think I put on Demon Land a little while ago before the season started, you know, at the risk of being hyperbolic that he's in our top 10 most important players. And I think it's because he brings so much of what we don't have, which is raw speed, that totally obviously the X factor. Um, but it's just that pressure. It's that ability to put referred pressure on to, to really run down. And I think he's, you know, they've... Co- he seems really coachable. That seems to be uh, feedback. Everyone said how impressed they were that <clears throat> despite obviously the tragedy that he had to endure, how switched on he was with training in um, uh, in Adelaide. And I think they said, you know, he was training with Woodville Torrens, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, one of the things he was doing last year that was a bit of a worry was going on with tackles and being a bit aggressive. And I've noticed this year he's stopped himself. So he hasn't given any free kicks away as far as I can recall in the two games. And, you know, last year he was giving one free away, a game or one free um, per game away at least through over, you know, over exuberance. So, yeah, he's just fantastic, isn't he? And, and of course, it's great to see someone so exciting and, you know, the fans and even the opposition fans sort of getting that buzz happening in the crowd when he goes near the ball. Including the commentators, they're very excited about him. Uh, I just noticed he had uh, nine score involvements. So, yeah, he's getting among you know amongst them. He's had uh, 17 disposals as well. Yeah. Um, just, a, we- just another thing on, on Cosy, there was – it is actually quite interesting seeing the game because then you sort of I love it to be able to watch the game and then make my own assessments. Um, and then watching the replay, it doesn't bother me so much what they say, and it sort of reinforced to me how influential they are. The commentators when you first see it and you're thinking about the game, but of course at the game I hadn't noticed. But um, in the commentary, they talked about um, 
the senior players giving him a bit of bake when he didn't handball into the corridor. He had a shot. I, I don't know if you recall it or, yeah, or they, you remember them saying that. Yeah, they um, mentioned it to him and they mentioned it with something Jordan did as well, that he got a bake as well, and they weren't right. happy with the bake. Well, I was, I couldn't, I just heard Ling talking about it. I was thinking that I, I was wanting to raise it tonight because I think it's great. You know, what, what, I mean, Ling of all people, uh, as a leader, um, if they feel comfortable being the senior players, telling him what he needs to do as a young player, then and they, they're comfortable that it's not going to um, upset him unduly, which it didn't, he played brilliantly afterwards. Um, you know, I think that that's exactly what we want to see from our leaders on the field. So, um, you know, it seems to me that it's a bit of damned if you do and damned if you don't in some respects. I bet you Ling would also be the type of the guy that if they didn't bake him, he would criticise our leaders for not uh, telling the uh, young players what exactly. to do. So, exactly. Yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. And to me, it's a really good sign. And, and in the first podcast, I mentioned, um, uh, I think the one after the Dogs practice game, um, I mentioned that Oliver didn't put on a block after a handball in the Richmond game, and I wonder whether the senior players had a chat to him. And um, and I wanted—I forgot to raise it last week, but Oliver did a fantastic chase down on a Frio player where he didn't give up on the contest and just put enough pressure on on the player who then skewed his kick and kicked a point. Um, and it was exactly the sort of defensive work that he hadn't been doing and never been great at, but showed, and he was fantastic on the weekend in that respect. So, you know, I think they're really good cultural signs, if you ask me. Well, that might not necessarily have been one of the players. I'm not saying that the senior players wouldn't do that, but that could be someone like Uze in, um, you know, in their tactical meetings during the week when they replay some vision to the players. Um, you know, we having watched the Amazon uh, series uh, making their mark, you saw other teams sort of, you know, and we know that the, the, the clubs do this where they review the video and sit down with players, but you really got it sort of, you got to see that um, firsthand in this, uh, in this doco. But yeah, I'm sure um, someone like Uze probably would point something like that out. And that's why someone like Uze uh, is a great uh, asset for us. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Christian Salem, I think he played uh, one of his best games for the club. Uh, often doesn't get enough credit, despite us. Uh, you know, we see a lot. We've, we've uh, knowing what a good user of the ball that he is. Uh, uh, amazing to see him get thirty touches. I'm, I'm not sure how often he's he's got thirty touches before. Uh, and you know, he's just not going to waste any of those uh, possessions. He's and he's just so good in congestion. Uh, always seems to find space and and as I said the delivery is superb uh George uh I know you're a fan of Salem's yeah big fan of big fan of Christian Salem um I think we're starting to see not uh not just confined to Salem uh but he's certainly one of the symptoms if that's what you might call it of the back line that's starting to gel together um I think in the interview that was on the club site he said that the current group that are there actually haven't played all that many games together um, when you look back at the injuries to May and Lever and even Salem last year and Hibbard um, now it's starting to gel um, they're working together as a complete defensive unit so uh, the outcomes I think were very very evident in this St Kilda game apart from the 30 possessions uh, Salem had 609 metres gained um, you know, to top top the uh, charts for this game, and I think that 
well, we'll talk about this a little bit later on in terms of game tactics and the way the game's evolving. Uh, meterage gained is going to, I think, is going to be more and more critical um, to all teams rather than just getting the ball or contested possessions. Uh, but a, a, a great game from Christian. Um, once again, his delivery is just first class, and um, we once again hope, hopefully, we'll just see more and more uh, of these typical sort of outcomes. The um, it made us gained. It's uh, it didn't actually top the charts. Um, George uh, uh, tracked it with six hundred and seventy-two. Uh, right. Salem came second, and um, uh, the only reason I point that out not is to point you out you were wrong, but that I was amazed when I read that because I, I looked at that in the context of Salem actually, and I sort of had in my mind watching live that Petrarca was good, but I I didn't really see how good until I watched the replay and maybe that's a function of you know, I guess the expectations you have on him now um you know it's incredible how consistent he's become and um you know for he also got 30 possessions like Salem um and you know if, you, if Christian Petrarca I said it last year if he can get his average up to 25 possessions then he's he's up in the top two or three players in the league um and I don't and I don't say that lightly um, the other one was amazing in metres gained was Stephen May, 595 metres gained, which is huge for a, a, a basically a full-back. Well, I guess he plays high, more a centre-half back perhaps. That's huge metres gained for a, a player like that. And the other one was sort of in the rounded out that top four was uh, Oliver with 520, which is, you know, that's a really impressive group, isn't it? So, How, how are they, how are they um, tracking that metres gained? Uh, is it by a... Uh, I guess they've got GPS on them, but it's also when they kick the ball, how far they kick it. Um, yeah, that's metres gained, meters gained on its own doesn't tell the whole story because if you're kicking the ball a lot far and you're just going to opposition um, every time, then having a large metres gained doesn't really tell the whole story. But, yeah, uh, have you got any insight on that, B-Man? I think, and I, I stand to be corrected, I, I think it is on... Um, from the time you take the ball, so also running with it gets your metres gained um, and then how far the ball travels. How they calculate that um, um, in terms of the ball travel because there's not a GPS chip on the ball, obviously, but there is on them. Uh, I think that's, um, I presume that's software that's AFL Pro, that that ProVision that calculates that and then they um, that's done that way. So it's both running with the ball and that probably would be for most players not that much. Uh, Hunt would probably get a bit of his metres gain from you know running with it, but it's kicking. So I guess that explains to a degree, whilst why um you know May's probably consistently high given you know he takes a full back kick and kick out, and he you know he's often kicking at 50, 60 metres. But you're right, if it turned over from that kick, it's not so valuable. So maybe the two things is metres gain compared, and they're looking at their turnovers and disposal efficiencies. So. Because I'm looking, I'm looking at the stat now, and I can see Dougal Howard um, has 769. He topped the 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 game. Now we kick 19 behinds. He's kicking yeah. out from from those 19 behinds most of the time, and now they sort of run from the square almost uh, 25 meters until they release the ball, and he's probably kicking it another 40 or 50 meters. Um, so I mean. That can tell a bit of that story. I mean, he was good because he took a lot of intercept marks as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, 
But that's that's right. But then if you think of the same, that's true. So if he's kicking out from fullback, he's they've got sort of that's artificially inflated, but not for Petrarca, for instance. No, no, no. Probably gets fifty. You know, he'd get seventy or eighty percent of his meters gained ahead of the center, uh, and he got six hundred and seventy-two. That's extraordinary. That's a lot of pumping the ball forward into our fifty uh, on Salem. That was the best game I've seen him play for the club, and I'm I've to be. To be honest, been a sort of little disappointed where he's got to in his career um, thus far. I know he had a lot of uh, injury issues and the thyroid stuff, and um, did he have another condition as well as diabetes, or was that him? I don't um, know. That's definitely the thyroid. Yeah, um, but he and you know I've always rated him uh, highly, but it's more I guess the disappointment's more more you know ceiling is a lot higher than where he's landed. But you know if that's the ceiling, that's for him, that's his benchmark, the way he played, and um, you know it's a bit difficult to tell. But he looks like he's slim right down, and he looked fit. Um, and I really like how they're playing him. They're playing him much higher than they were, um, and he's um, getting a lot more uh, inside entries. I'm not sure what his inside entries were. Do you know, George? Sorry, no, he's in fifties. No, I, I don't know what that was, but um, I think again, it's it's a function of this backline working defensively together as a team that Salem can afford to move further up the ground, yeah, because he knows he's got Lever and May and now and Tom, Tomlinson as well sitting behind him. Um, so um, you can be a little bit more adventurous with that sort of thing, but it's just the high high consistency uh, of his kicks. Which has uh, been man's favourite um, favourite uh, um, item that in in terms yeah. of what he wants to see in players. Um, yeah, he, he's just so good at getting the ball to a player virtually under every circumstance. You, sometimes you think he's just not going to get out of this situation, and somehow he does, and somehow somehow he he does hit the targets. So um, it's very yeah, very good. He's got that skill. I watched the game, and it was just a, a ripper game, the uh, West Coast um, uh, uh, Dogs game. And uh, uh, Caleb Daniels, the way he holds the ball and decides late where he's going to kick it, um, and it's a really neat sort of skill that he's got. But it's sort of you can see it's a bit like basketball, George, the way uh, you know a good ball handler will sort of delay which way he goes left or right um he's got ability to do that and then hit the target and salem's got a similar ability he holds the ball really low down on his foot um and he he can change make a late decision um on who he kicks to either long short or go inside and still um hit a target so yeah it's absolutely invaluable particularly off that halfback flank because you just can't turn it over there and salem had five inside 50s um, for those keeping score at home. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, Jack Viney, uh, so good uh, to have our tough and hard vice-captain back in the team. And he, he didn't take long to impact the game, in particular the scoreboard, uh, with that first goal of the match. And, and that he kicked another first-quarter goal. A uh, really welcomed addition back into that midfield unit, providing, you know, sort of a, a foil for uh, Oliver, uh, 37 possessions and Padraka 30. So, you know, I bet they love having uh, Jack back in there who can uh, take a bit of the heat um, in those midfield contests. He's fantastic, isn't he? That first goal was just terrific. And uh, I don't know whether it was a function of sort of preparing myself for the the. Um, in a chance he might 
uh, you know, the talk about him going to Geelong last year and whether I was, you know, protecting myself from, you know, angst by thinking, oh, you know, he's he's got the, he's got his evident weaknesses and and yada yada. Um, but I've I've just sort of dropped that from my mind. He's just fantastic for the footy club, and I just love the way he attacks the ball. And um, you know, when he's when we're not when we've got a much better um, set up around the ball, when we can clear it, we've got the outliers, um, you know, his inside ability to win the contested ball becomes more valuable. It's not; it's less valuable if you've got three players all attacking that contest. So, uh, yeah, I, I just love watching him play. And he, he looks super fit as well. So, It's going to be interesting, isn't it, with uh, Jack? Uh, I think, uh, again, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, about the way the... Uh, tactics have changed. He only spent uh, time on ground was only 66%. So I think that might be an indication um, that not necessarily he is being managed back into the game, although that might be a factor in that. But when you have this rotation system that we're starting to see through the midfield, that he won't be used as the battering ram uh, first and foremost all the time, that uh, you're going to start to see a battering ram come in and then you're going to see a skilled outsider more like Jordan. Then you're going to have, have uh, uh, Kaziah Pickett playing in there as a swift runner. Um, it's really going to up, uh, unsettle the opposition and, and the way that they set up to try and counter uh, what we've got available. So um, uh, this was only Jack's first game back, but it'll be interesting to watch how he's used in the next uh, couple of games if it's in a similar sort of way. Um with the injection of Viney back into the team, you know, our core starting midfield, you know, consisting of Max, Clary, Track and Vines, they they amassed uh, 97 possessions, 49 contested, 24 clearances, um, had, you know, from 40, 14 hit-outs to advantage and the, and the two goals from Viney. Um, you add to that the assists from uh, both uh, Jordan, who had 20 possessions of his own and nine tackles. Um, so you're talking about it as an outside sort of guy, but he's getting in there as well. Uh, and, and Sparrow, who's continuing to improve, kicked a fantastic goal. I don't know if you guys saw it on the replay. He sort of uh, wasn't really selling some candy, but he sort of you know, shrugged off a guy and uh, and steadied and kicked a goal. It was just a beautiful. Um, and then, you know, cameos from uh, the aforementioned Cozzy in our midfield. Our midfield's in some really good shape, as you mentioned, George, uh, Really, really good to see, and hopefully we can keep sort of that intact uh, for most of the year, and we'll be a, a very hard midfield to match up on. Indeed, um, the other thing I liked about that Sparrow goal was what he did before that, um, where the ball—I can't remember who kicked the ball—but it was high to a to a contest, and he was sort of side on, and instead of trying to mark the ball, he tapped it over the head of the opposition player and then he picked it up and did that side step and around and I thought that's that's a guy who's thinking his way through um what's actually happening um so that sorry he's smart yeah he's He's smart yeah yeah exactly um the other good thing is that he's you can see he's already got the body for a midfielder um so yeah, I think we can see a lot more. Um, we're going to see a lot more of him in the future in in terms of this midfield that just seems to have someone else available, someone different, some a different style of player being able to bought to be bought in there. Um, it's going to be pretty impressive. But uh, again, we'll talk about this with tactics. That the big change in the midfield that we're starting to see 
is unlike previous years where everybody piled in to get the ball, uh, we're seeing only one mid go in uh, these days. So um, we may not get the same number of contested uh, outcomes and the same number of clearances, but the ones we do get are far higher quality. Um, and again, it's only two two games into the season, but if this continues, it's going to be very pleasant for the supporters to watch. I bet yeah. you Uze's got a big hand in, in that. Um, B-Man, you want to add anything? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, we'll pick that point up, but you know, I agree with Uze's um, influence probably in that space because that was his sort of market uh, Hawthorne in terms of their, their setup in the centre. That goal from, um, I'm going to call him Swallow. <laughs> <laughs> Sparrow. Starling. Um, yeah, Starling. With the other, you're right, it was a really clever and he's had two weeks where he doesn't get a huge possessions, but he looked a lot more sort of at home on the weekend. I thought I was a lot more, I was pleased with his game or a lot more pleased than the previous week. The other thing about that goal, and I was talking about it to a mate I went with on um, Saturday night, was how critical maintaining scoring chains are and that, you know, when scoring chains break down, they're often the things that that you don't really notice them. It's one of those things you notice in that absence, if that makes sense. So, you know, you miss an easy 20-metre kick and it turns it over. You know, it's not like as evident as missing a goal from 20 metres. But, you know, if that then gets, you know, means that we're not able to create um, a scoring opportunity and it goes down the other end, it's potentially a 12-point turnaround. Um, And that particular one uh, was really important that we got a goal out of that because we tic-tac beautifully up the ground. We'd had the scoring chain. I think there were three or four possessions before it, and I think it was Spargo who crossed in and he he put it on Sparrow in Sparrow's head, Um, and it, it really wasn't such a good kick in the sense that it gave the free, uh, sorry, the St Kilda uh, defender chance to come out from off his man and and uh, um, make a contest. So the the his ability to, as you say, George, to um, respond, get the ball when it hit the ground, and sort of make, do the step, and then of course kick the goal, uh, um, convert was just so important because it, it kept our momentum going at an important point um, and, you know, rewarded that the play up the field to create that scoring chain. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Um, just the other thought, you mentioned Jordan um, and, and it, it does relate to what George is saying about the centre square setup. It's really interesting. Um, I was really surprised partly because when um, people were talking about Jordan, I had not seen him and George and other um, track watchers in, say, a couple of years ago, we were talking about what sort of player he was. He was often described as an inside mid, um, you know, and my critique was, well, do we really need another inside mid at Melbourne? Um, but he's got a really he's very neat kick um, and he's uh, smart. Again, we talked about it last week. He's a smart, high football IQ, smart player. He kicks it to the right spot. Uh, and I was super surprised when I looked at his stats. He had 20 um, possessions, but 18 of them were uncontested. Um, and it's, uh, I thought that was really curious. And I look at his heat map, um, and he was in a very – he got sort of 70% of those possessions in a very specific part of the ground on the sort of halfback flank um, area. So, you know, he, he, I'm not quite sure how many centre square um, clear uh, setups he went to, um, but they used him in a specific way, and they used him as that outlier, the player, to get the ball out to. So and um, in our team, in a, in a team with our mid to a – you know, contested ball winners, to have one of them um, having 18 uncontested and only two contested is a is a really interesting um, stat, I reckon. 
Move on uh, to uh, our defence. Uh, once again, our defence held up really well. May Lever Tomlinson ably assisted uh, by uh, Nev Jetta uh, Rivers, who I think made up uh, for some of his clangers last week, and uh, Salem, who have already lauded. Uh, uh, perhaps we need to revisit our thoughts on Tomlinson as a defender. Uh, I think his efforts in the first two weeks have been great. George, I know you were critical of him as a defender last year. Have you changed your opinion? I have. I have, um, uh, and I think the reason that things have changed in, his, in terms of uh, Adam Tomlinson is that he's found a role and he's been given a given a role quite specifically. Um, when he he was touted as a, a a wingman for him as he first came here, and he's just a bit of all at sea now. Now he's found that third man third man in defence, and when you've got solid. Uh, players like Lever and May holding it all together, it, it enables the others around them to to really show their wares. Um, we've talked about Salem and the output that he's provided, but I think what we're seeing again from the defensive side of thing is is a change in the tactics um, that was em- emblematic of um, Ross Lyon and and Paul Ruse, where. They took some players who were pretty ordinary by any measures and they turned them into pure role players. Um, uh, I'm not saying Tomlinson's a similar sort of player, but if sometimes you just need to give someone a job to do and that's all you've got to do. Um, I think we're seeing Nev Jetta doing something similar. Um, when you get a, a particular small forward uh, that needs to be quelled, only for short periods of time, then you send in Neville. Um, and I think Tomlinson's um, gaining full advantage of, of this new um, targeted role that, that he's being asked to play rather than a more general role um, coming out of the back line. Just leave that up to someone else. That's someone else's role to, to do. You just do your bit and, and we'll be very happy with what you're doing. And to date, I'm pretty happy with what we're seeing this year. Hey man, anything you want to add uh, about no, this one or Tomlinson? Yeah, concur with what George said. I mean, I was criti- critical of him last year as a defender too. Um, um, pardon the pun. In my defence, I did also point out that um, he would learn, um, uh, and that he's a you know he's a good footballer. I think he's still he's never going to be quick. Um, you know, he looks like a statue at times, but um, exactly. As George said, they've given him a keep, you know, a position to bed down, and essentially that's the position Oscar McDonald played, which was the, you know, the the point in the diamond, um, the the deep player who takes that last line, um, and so he's going to be exposed a few times, and just as the case was Oscar McDonald looks worse because that's you know the proximity to goal that often means um, that he'll um, give up a goal. He's a better player than Oscar McDonald, and you know I think Oscar McDonald was unlucky that Tomlinson. Um, was brought to the club on pretty good coin and on a long-term contract and brought in as nominally as a wingman slash sort of ruckman utility um, and was pretty evident pretty quick that that wasn't his go. Um, and so the writing was on the wall for OMAC last year when um, they elected to run with um, Tomlinson. And, you know, I think that he's a good footballer that once he was given enough time in that position that he can bet it down and um, work on it, um, you know, I think he's, he's a good chance of just being a super solid um, player back there um, and learning the craft as a, a defender. Um, and, you know, he's got good hands. That's the other thing that... Um, 
he's got on Oscar McDonald, that's for sure, in terms of good soft hands and, um, you know, takes a good mark as well. So, yeah, he was terrific. The other thing about defence is that I'd be interested to know both your thoughts on um, Hunt because I thought, he, you know, we talked about it last week, unclear what his role was, but as I've noted a lot of times, our biggest weakness defensively is generally the small, medium uh, smalls and medium forwards and um, St Kilda are full of them um, and we did fantastic in that respect and I saw on Demon Land someone note that he was um, marking um, Butler um, and if so he, he did a great job Butler only had eight possessions I think so he really you know, part, c- combining with the fact that we gave Butler no space to run into so ahead of the ball he had nothing so once you take that uh, away from him he's half the player he normally is um, and maybe Hunt shut him down as well so um, Hunt didn't have huge numbers and didn't get many metres gained which I reckon is is his KPI but um, seemed to play pretty well if that was his role. Yeah well he was that was the next point I was going to bring up it was about Jaden Hunt I was going to ask because I'd seen that as well on Demon Land whether uh, that he had been given the job on Butler. I didn't notice it on the night, but I haven't rewatched uh, the game, so I wasn't able to. But it seems, uh, be man, I was going to ask you if you knew, but uh, it seems you don't, unless George, uh, you have any insight into that? Uh, no, but I think the important thing was it wasn't only Butler that um, was shut mm-hmm. down. Um, Traditionally, when we play St Kilda, Membry kicks a bag full. And um, in the past, Bruce killed, kicked a bag full. But uh, the other thing that always cut us to pieces was their small runners uh, and small forwards. And in this game, Billings and Butler and Higgins and Loney, um, Billings got, I think, a goal or two. But the whole uh, those four were virtually unsighted for the whole game. They certainly didn't have any impact on the, on the game. Uh, like they have in the past, so uh, once again, there's some. It's difficult to to see what's actually going on there. But again, the um, defence is working better as a, as a team effort rather than just one off one one man against another man sort of um, that we've traditionally yeah. used as our defending systems. Um, I think what we're seeing is is a change in the defensive structures in a big big way. Um, the fact that we could shut down four of these players. Um, who the previous week um, against GWS were critical in getting them over the line. And uh, um, this week they had very little influence whatsoever. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, um, you know, it's exactly that sort of player that gives us, um, has, you know, in the last few years given us problems. And watching at the game, I was sitting up behind at the city end and in the sort of pocket up in level three. So I had a good sort of angle down the ground. And um, it's really interesting to see now the um, the defensive zone, George, so the way it's sort of set up. It's uh, sort of, I described it on Demon Land as a, like a fluid, like a cell almost, because unlike a few years ago where the defense zone sort of lined up in, you know, not exactly but in lines across the ground in some respects it's sort of a it moves as the ball moves so if you know if St Kilda brought it down the um you know the one wing the whole defensive unit would would move across like a cell and almost challenging um St Kilda to to the only way around it is to cross to the center or um um, go around that and then they did try that a few times but if if you think how few times they successfully crossed given that's St Kilda's tactics as we were talking about last week that cross is a absolute um, key part of their game and in a way we sort of provided that was the only way they were going to move it forward um, and then when they 
they do, the whole unit moves across um, and they're incredibly effective. And, and that's where I think the defensive unit's really building that synergy because that, that can't be an easy thing to do. You know, everyone's got to trust in each other. You know, there's going to be times where someone, you know, a Neville Jet is going to be exposed against a tall or that's just going to happen. Um, but they've got to have complete faith in each other and they've got to string games together. Um, so I thought, you know, River's pace, Hunt's pace, and that's the other thing for Hunt down there, his ability to, when they do cross, you need players with pace like Rivers and Hunt to get across and keep the shape of that cell, uh, of that zone. Um, and we were super effective. I mean, if you think about it, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, the, the new rules um, creating more space up forward. But when you look at how inefficient St Kilda were going forward, they it wasn't in their inaccuracy that was hurting them. They just was crowded all the time. Whenever they got into their forward line, it was crowded and they really struggled. Um, and we had the, you know, we had much more space in our forward line to, to move. The other um, good example of um, that structure, that fluid structure that you're talking about was the number of times that Brad Hill uh, was streaming down wing or through the centre and had no one to kick to. And, and had to hold it up, exactly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, was getting frustrated as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I think and again, I mean, I heard um, on the radio the next, I didn't hear him on the at the time because I was at the game, and um, but Goddard apparently was saying it was the worst quarter of AFL football he'd seen in the third quarter in terms of skills. And, you know, I thought, <laughs> when I heard that, I thought, he hasn't seen Melbourne nearly enough. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like I wouldn't even put that in our top. 30. Um, but I think a factor that um, I didn't hear many of the commentators point out was exactly that, George, is that the, the pressure ahead of the ball and the lack of options was a huge cause of their turnovers. Um, ours were just our normal skill errors generally. So. Um, I was uh, following uh, the scores on my phone. As I mentioned, I wasn't able to go the game live. Um, uh, alarm bells uh, were going off for me when we went uh, 16 points down on the back of the Saints kicking the first uh, three goals of the second quarter, and the, I think they had kicked the last one on on the on the siren almost in the first. And I thought we'd crumble. Uh, past demons teams tend to do that, but upon watching the replay, it was pleasing to see us continue to apply pressure, and we subsequently kicked the next eight of the eight of the next ten goals. Uh, were either of you two worried uh, once uh, we kicked the first uh, first three? Once they kicked uh, the first three of the second quarter, uh, George, uh, did, did I, think it was all over and they'd run all over us? I, I was surprised at the parallels between um, the girls' game, the women's game, and this game in in the, exactly the same sense that the scoreboard wasn't reflecting who was controlling the game. Um, um, and I was surprised that, that St Kilda were that far ahead at that particular time because I don't think we were playing all that badly. Um, that they, they managed to chance a few goals that got them up. Um, I think Steele kicked one in the goal square because it came out the back. Um, and th- these sort of things happened during the game. But you're right, Andy, absolutely right about it. As a, as a MFCSS <laughs> um sufferer you go i've seen this before i know what's going to happen here it comes here it comes but even then just even getting over the back it lifts their confidence and uh you know that can that can crush the team even if it's against the play yeah that's that's exactly right and um that that's what i was thinking at the at the time but um 
this this seems this is it's only two games into the season, but this seems to be a completely different approach um, to the way the games that this team is playing the game. You know, they would have fallen apart in previous years, certainly, uh, but they didn't. They just kept on doing what they were doing. The defenders kept on doing what they were doing and defending, and and eventually it came came good. I was surprised how well it came good. Like you said, when we kicked eight of the next ten and and basically opened the game up and. We probably could have done better if we'd been able to kick straight in a few on a few occasions, but um, we'll it, it, it was quite emphatic the the response. So that that's a good sign for of a team that if you want to play play finals, that's the sort of approach you've got to have. I think there's a tendency for for D's fans, and with good reason, if you've been following D's as long as we have the um, you know to sort of focus on the negative, I guess, but and and to forget the positives of previous years because last year was really disappointing. We should have made the finals, but there were it was a big improvement, I reckon, in their uh, resilience um, across the season, their ability to do two things that we did really well in this game. One, peg back a, um, a margin, which a few times last year we did and um, were uh, unable to to get back over the line. I'm thinking the um, Geelong game and the Richmond game in particular, um, but where we sort of steadied and got back into the game and didn't get flustered when a margin got jumped out and probably ones that I could think of where we did peg it back. And the um, so I think that's sort of something that's been uh, improving um, in the you know even 2019 with such a horrible season were some examples of that. I wouldn't overstate that. But the other thing that we've done really well last year uh, and um, I reckon already re- well twice this year is balancing up when teams come at us um, and going into a, um, a tempo footy, which uh, I think that you know that. Um, um, was wanting to talk uh, sort of about that tactical shift and I, I feel like there's been a number of pretty big key tactical shifts since Goody um, started uh, coaching and one of them is the ability to play tempo footy which I think that that sort of started in 2019 in the you know on the back of what was a horrible season they took the opportunity to to introduce playing tempo footy and holding the ball and and stopping the opposition's momentum um, when that sort of became vogue teams were using that more and more in that year um and you know i think part of that was taking that opportunity to in to get something out of a, a horrible season but also to, you know that mitigated some pretty big potential thrashings we didn't get really thrashed that often that season despite how you know our struggles and we did it fantastically um against frio where when they came at us we held the ball you know, stopped the momentum essentially, and we did it once they pushed again in that third quarter. I think it was the third quarter um, in this Saints game where we were very clearly slowing it up, and the commentators made note of the players yelling on the boundary line and around the ground, uh, and it was made note of in the um, some of the interviews in the post game interviews. I, I listened to Steve May saying exactly that that the leaders were saying, "Hold it up, let's slow it down," um, and that you know that's really I think. Uh, you know, sign of maturity as a team, uh, and it gives another string to our bow. That's for sure. Do you think the um, tempo um, method of, of slowing the game down actually also requires higher fitness levels? Um, somebody's got to run to create a space for the kicker to be able to kick it to them. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's absolutely, and also stretches the opposition. I think the main thing is that I mean, again, sort of that basketball analogy, George. It's like you know. It, 
if you're behind, the, you know, you want the game to get fast don't you, in basketball. It's the same in footy. You want a fast game when you're um, – because both teams score, you just hope that you score more in that, when that happens. Um, but to your point, a question before, uh, Andy, when um, – a shout-out to Laceout, who I think posts on um, – um, I'm fairly confident it's the same person who uh, posts on Demonland, but also has a YouTube channel that puts together packages of highlights um, of all the goals and, and highlights of the mat, of the D's matches. Um, and so I watched that and that, that sort of moment where Viney got run down, um, they were up by, I think, 22 points or something, and Viney looked like he was – we finally got the ball forward. We just couldn't get the ball forward. He was running into an open forward line and got tackled. Um, that was the moment I thought, oh, God, this is <laughs> – but from that point on, we we really got going, and, uh, and I think the fitness was a massive issue, George, in terms of our ability to push um, back on them at that point. Um, I think skills are still a little bit sloppy, uh, some drop marks, some missed kicks. Uh, we've just got to tidy that up a little bit. I'm happy to chalk it down to brushing off the cobwebs. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, 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 were you concerned, either of you guys, George? Uh, uh, not not greatly. I was, I was more impressed with the improvement um, in the pressure um, around yes. the ground. Uh, uh, it's hard hard to judge um turnovers it's it's what causes the turnovers mm. is more critical um uh, so so i think having the the ball in the hands of people like salem and rivers uh this week was a de- definite improvement in the skills um the, the turnovers were um 72 65 against st kilda um so we weren't as bad as them um but it, it's early in the season. You, you've got to expect um, errors are still occurring. They're just not just not up to it um, quite yet and up to the efficiency that we, we require. But, hey, we won the game, and that's really all that matters at this stage. And on skills, the bottom line is that players who aren't very good kicks aren't suddenly going to become good kicks by magic. It's just not going to happen. And, um, you know, I've fed ink and my, my head will explode as the commentators like to say, my head will literally explode if Jaden Hunt tries to kick the ball 25 metres again. Uh, he just cannot do it. He has not no. got the ability. You know, I reckon he's a bit gazed about 30% hit target, 70% miss from 25 metres. You know, if he can't kick 50 metres, carry and kick 50 metres, give it to someone else for God's sake because he, he's just terrible. And, um, um, you know, I think that uh, we've got some pretty average kicks in the team. But I think, George, as you say, the key is to get it into the river's hands, to you know, and that's to Salem, to, um, you know, Bowie when he comes in. Well, I thought- that's, what, that's what I think is happening. I think they're waiting uh, for yeah. Bowie, um, you know. Having his, said that. He's time in the twos. So having said that, I reckon Alex Neil Bullen has um, really improved his kicking. You know, it's, it's really obviously hard to improve your ability completely, but he's making better decisions, which is part of it, I think. So it's not just, you know, it's when who you try to kick to in what circumstance is also part of the puzzle for, you know, turnovers and skill errors. And um, he hit a beautiful kick inside. I forget who was the leading target um, and into the middle. And, you know, he played another good game, I thought. Oh, I think we've lost uh, Big Man for a sec. Big Man, uh, just uh, check uh, what's happened. Uh, All good. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, now you're back. 
Sorry, I was just talking about Neil Bullen. Did you get the... Yep, yep, it was his last... That yeah, I think I seconds. <laughs> I'll, I'll just go to George. You were talking about before um, uh, pressure, um, and I'll just uh, I'll throw this in now. The the, the club releases their stats, uh, you know, sort of the stats that matter. Um, and one thing that stood out for me in particular were the pressure acts of both uh, Neil Bullen who had 28 pressure acts and Charlie Spargo, 22. And uh, shout out to both of them because they've both been much maligned uh, players um, uh, of, uh, in, you know, throughout these supporters, whether it's Demon Land or any of the online uh, communities, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I think they've both been uh, really good this year. Um, very, very happy with them. Uh, Charlie Spargo's uh, kicking into the forward line is fantastic. Uh, always hits up a target and, uh, you know, kicked a goal himself and, uh, yeah, but wrapped with both of those. It's a, a big turnaround from last year, isn't it? The um, uh, Not just the pressure where you're, you're in people's uh, opposition's faces and, and causing them to uh, create the turnovers, but the tackles, particularly in the forward line, um, it it's really has been a dramatic turnaround from what... Um, we on this podcast were com- complaining bitterly about last year where um, certain players were going for game after game after game and not laying a single tackle. Um, in the, uh, I saw the statistics. We're getting very focused on statistics, aren't we? Um, I, I like the stats. I don't, I don't mind it. Uh, I like it. But um, we had 12 – this week we had 12 uh, tackles inside 50 and last week we had 15 um, like I said, compared to last year, that's that is chalk and cheese. Um, so you put the pressure on, you create the tackles, you create the turnovers. Importantly, in the inside fifties, you keep the ball inside the fifty and create opportunities um, for more scoring. And that's it's, it's about this change in in the tactics that are being employed and the game plan that's being employed. Um, nice to see. Uh, they should have listened to us last year. Well, you were very critical of, of players like Melksham last year and, and a few of those small forwards. That's certainly not the case this year. I think even going back to like when Dean Kent was in the team, he was getting dropped because he wasn't tackling enough. Um, yeah, yeah, good to see that it's happening. Yeah. yeah. And I, Melksham's Latin for do not tackle. <laughs> and I think that's going to be the critical um, uh, factor for Melksham, whether he can come back into the, back into the side. Um, he's going to have to change the way he has played in the last couple of years in a big, big way to get a position in that forward line again. Um, not because he can kick rather well, but it's about what pressure he can apply and what tackling he can apply because you know, Spargo and A and B um, um, and Cozzy working in, the, in that forward line at the moment as the small um, pressure players is going to be hard to beat to put someone else in there who hasn't shown very much of that in the in the certainly in the last couple of years. And look, I'm I'm if you're going to get into the team, uh, if you're not going to do those things, then you bloody well better kick three or four goals in the game yeah. um, or create a lot of opportunities because otherwise, uh, what's the point? Yeah, uh, on pressure, it's a credit where you're speaking of being critical I've been critical in the um, last few podcasts about the club's comms so credit where it's due there's been some um, good content on the website 
that the clubs put out. One of them was the uh, interview I mentioned with Pickett, who um, uh, Burgo talked to him, and he really emphasised. He was asked about pressure, and he really emphasised that that's a really key thing that um, the forwards are focused in on. And he, he mentioned Neil Bullen and um, Spargo in that mix. And um, it's actually interesting in terms of the tackles in fight inside 50, despite Jordan's heat map suggesting he spent um, 70% of his game on the halfback flank, he led our inside 50 tackles with four, um, Spargo with three, uh, Viney had two, and two. one of them was that second goal that he kicked that um, coaches must just love that when you get a um, tackle inside 50 that gets a drop in the ball or a you know, free kick and, and then convert. So, and Pickett only had the one. But um, the other good bit of media that the on the pressure front that the club had was that they, Andy, they had that stat about the pressure, the 50 between Neil Bullen and 50 pressure acts between Pickett and Neil Bullen. They actually have a video on loop of a bunch of them rolled together of Neil Bullen and Pickett's pressure acts, and it's Spargo. really Spargo. Yep. Uh, sorry, sorry, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, Pickett and Spargo, I should say. Yep. Um, and it's really interesting looking at them, and if you also look at the AFL Pro Vision, it's the same because they in that Pro Vision all of their involvements are picked up, including their pressure acts. And whilst um, Pickett only got the one in um, tackle inside fifty. Um, and um, Spargo had three, so he, he got the second most. Is when you see the pressure acts, it's really interesting to view them the way they've got them clipped up on the um, website um, because it's that handy and it's that you know it's that hunt down and just putting enough pressure on a player who's about to kick. It's the the buzzing about and both um, uh, Spargo and Pick are just fantastic. It's really good vision to see. And the other thing it shows is. Um, how fiercely Spargo was tackling. It wasn't just he sort of pressure acts. He was really going in hard for the footy. Um, uh, the next thing that uh, I want to talk about is our accuracy or lack thereof. I mentioned at the top of the show that we won by one goal and, and 12 behinds. Um, uh, we, we really had a golden opportunity uh, to put a team away and instead of uh, you know, converting our, uh, you know, instead of converting our on-field dominance into scoreboard pressure, we, we gave them a sniff. Um, with scoring a little more free-flowing this season, we simply can't allow uh, to give teams a sniff. And whilst I, I was able to watch the match uh, comfortably, you know, because uh, I was watching the replay comfortably knowing that we couldn't lose, um, uh, the Saints certainly had enough time to get a run on at the end. We weren't in front by enough. And had we been more accurate in front of the big sticks, we could have had the game out of their reach at, th- at three-quarter time. Uh, 31 scoring shots to 18 and you only win by 18 points. Uh, it's simply not good enough. Um, and that, that foregone percentage uh, can bite you in the bum later in the year. Um, I guess if you keep winning, percentage is less of an issue. But uh, we, we need we need to get some of these guys out on the track and having said shot practice uh, uh, because it's been a, an issue in both of our matches this year. Uh, Fridge... One goal, three this week, and you know Fritch often leads that, and he does very well because he still he takes the marks, he leads really well and takes the marks, but he's leading very wide out, so he's not giving him the best chance. Uh, we'll give him credit; he kicked a very, uh, uh, very good That's steadying tough. goal for us uh, that he kicked. We really needed it. Uh, Tom McDonald, two goals, three. Petraka, three, three behinds, and a few that just missed everything or, or sort of went out. Uh, Cozzy 2-2, um, Luke Jackson missed an easy set shot. We really need him kicking goals. Um, you know, we, that was an easy one. 
uh, and he missed a few easy ones last week. It's a massive area that we need to improve, and I, I hope it's being looked at and you know try to be rectified if it can be. No doubt it's been looked at, but the bottom line is the same point that I made before: is that if you've got poor kicking skills, you know the your two metrics for that will show that up are your turnovers and your um, miss shot for goals. So the way to in, improve, you know the number of goals you kick is kick more from the corridor, but modern footy, there's not much space to kick into that corridor. You don't get those opportunities. So you are, you have got them from the, the boundary line. Um, you know, Jackson's techniques poor, I reckon. Um, I haven't thought it wasn't too bad. Um, I don't know what the deal is with uh, Frida, but um, I was joking on the night that if there was a, I'm not sure what it would be called, but if there was a Coleman equivalent for points scored, he would be, Miles ahead, I'm not sure who you'd name it after. It would be a, you know, <laughs> it'd be a Melbourne player, of course. <laughs> but he would be, and he seems to fade it sometimes, drill it sometimes. You know, he's frustrating player. And when he does flush it, like the one at the end of that third quarter, which was a critical kick because we really needed some sort of um, reward for our dominance of that quarter. Um, that when I was sitting directly behind that kick up in the stand, so he was kicking to me and didn't deviate off a straight line that kick. So um, you know, it's all over the place in terms of um, you know sometimes he fades it, sometimes he kicks it dead straight. So perhaps there's a psychological thing there because when he came into the game, as Great Miner was talking about last week, he was super accurate. Mm. It's it's funny, isn't it? With Fritz, he's almost got to have a sighter or two, you can guarantee, almost guarantee the first two set shots will miss and after that he's able to kick it straight. But um, um, I think he's got a, a fundamental kicking problem um, in that he drops the ball too much onto its end. Mm. Um, it, it's good if he kicks through it. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Yeah, it's, it's low, it can be low and hard um, and it connects nicely with that. But as soon as he's got... He, he, as soon as he's got a slower approach and a more methodical approach, he seems to forget that it, the actually putting the the power of the leg into it to make sure it goes straight. Um, so yeah, you hope that uh, the coaches will be working on it. There was some uh, talk on one of the Demonland threads about coaches bemoaning how little time they could spend on goal kicking. Uh, given the requirements of how long they could keep the players on the track. Um, and I think we've heard previously uh, about similar sorts of problems that people just don't practice kicking goals these days in the way that they used to in the past. However, the, um, the, the, there was a good point that was brought up by uh, Dee Zephyr in the uh, chat room there about 10 minutes ago or so, um, that uh, we still scored 57% from inside 50s, which yeah. is our highest yeah. percentage since 2016. Um, yeah. Uh, so that that's an improvement. It means we we're getting the ball in there, and unlike um, certainly last year and the year before, where we get the ball in there much more than than other sides, uh, we just weren't scoring. But now we we're starting to get the scores. Um, what what we're all hoping for is that it could be even better than what what we're seeing. Fifty seven percent could easily be sixty, seventy, eighty percent um, yeah. if the if these set shots, and that's all the problem is. At the moment, um, if these set shots were far more reliable, um, and that's going to make a difference, as Andy said, to percentages and and wins at the end of the season, you don't give the opportunity, and you don't give the opposition uh, the sniffs that they're currently getting. I did see that comment from DZF, and I was, funnily enough, I was going to make a similar point that our um, 
our that ratio was amazing and i think we had like only maybe two more inside 50s than them and we had 13 more scoring shots that's incredible that like that statistically that's you know and uh, i've got another stat uh, as well the efficiency inside at uh, going inside 50 um, a Demolander post uh, during the week, uh, D-Man uh, pointed out that we had 72.2% efficiency going inside 50 as opposed to their 39.6%. Um, uh, you, know, you know, we had sprayed it and had uh, 39 shots on goal, so I'm assuming that we missed a couple completely or didn't make the distance, uh, you know, and we're at least improving our connection inside 50, um, you know, but we just need to start turning those opportunities into goals yeah. um, and then we can erect a statue of Uze outside the MCG. <laughs> well, and part of that is the setup is, and that speaks to the, the, our, the way we're structured up and how the, the shift, the tactical shift to um, really being a sort of critical thing for us now is your intercept marks, our intercept marks from the half back line and, and attacking from the half back line and combined with that defensive zone that we were talking about before their difficulty scoring was to do with how little space they had inside our um, inside their forward fifty, and conversely, our ability to um, get thirty one scoring shots was it thirty one? Yeah, thirty one scoring shots was to do with we had a lot more space, and they just couldn't structure up their defence in the way that we've done, and that's a, been an evolution, you know, um, a slow evolution over the last season and a half where. We've really improved our defensive um, zone structure to where we're super hard to score against. I've been tracking our um, scores against for a while now and, um, you know, we are a really hard team to score against. If you look at Frio's difficulty last week, they opened up um, uh, GWS last week and GWS, you know, they were, you know, a, a final eight side or well, they made the grand final two years ago, of course, or two seasons ago. Um, and St Kilda are a sort of aggressive side, and we just didn't give them that space inside their their fifty. Um, you know, it's a remarkable if you think how often two seasons ago everyone on Demon Land was quite rightly just pulling our hair out collectively about you know winning the clearances, smashing them in the clearances, smashing them by fifteen inside fifties. Um, and losing games. Uh, uh, there was a, a poster, Forest Demons, on Demon Land put up this, the reminder, the stat, when we lost to Richmond, I think we beat, I think he said, I forget the numbers, but it was we won inside 50s by about 20, clearances by about seven or eight and lost the game by 40 points. Um, There's a complete change to where we're in now and the, those sorts of stats that DZephyr picked up and you just mentioned, Andy, were... You know, they're, they're radically different statistics than, than, say, 2018 when we were, you know, making a prelim. Um, uh, you talked about uh, the clearances and we, we talked about it last week and, and I know you're very big on that uh, it's not so, as important to, to win the clearances. Uh, but Maxi did go up against a – I was pulling up my, my uh, notes here. He did go up against a very experienced, inexperienced uh, guy, opponent, uh, and understandably, put on a bit of a clinic for him. Uh, he's had four, forty. He's had forty hitouts. To Hunters thirteen. Uh, we won the hitouts fifty-two seventeen. The clearances were even once again. So, um, yeah. Well, and we completely dominated them. And had we kicked straighter, it would have uh, been a, a bigger scoreboard thing. So, I, I guess uh, you're still right there, um, Big Man. Yeah. I, look, I think that. 
if I was to put, uh, uh, there's definitely been a change. There's absolutely been a shift. Um, and I, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that um, clearances aren't important, that, you know, um, clearances are always going to be important. Um, but, you know, for 2018, I think, as I said last week, we're plus three differential. Um, and that would have been one of the key things that we looked at to win contested ball and win clearances. Um, and um, I think, though, that it's shifted where, We'd be happy if at the end of this season that differential was about break even. Um, and, you know, we were down eight zip against Frio. We ended up that in that game, you know, it's easy to think of one small period. We, we sorted that out, end of the game even. We ended this game even, despite the fact in both games, um, Maxi was up against, you know, Ruckman not anywhere near his class. So, you know, that's clearly been a shift. Um, so I think that, you know, we've moved away from being a stoppage and clearance-based team first and foremost to a team that's we've shifted the dial to uh, trying to win pure clearances, exactly as George said before, really quality over quantity, you know, win pure clearances like the very first one of the game and the first one of the second quarter that result in scoring opportunities. Um, even though that means in doing so and setting up that way, we're going to lose more clearances than we historically have done. But when we do lose those clearances, you know, the focus now is to put that ball carrier under pressure um, and force them to kick or handball, but in particularly sort of that dump kick into our half back line where we mark and rebound and counter attack from um, and set up our scoring chains. I think we're, you know, setting up 60, 70, um, 75% of our scoring chains come now from half back flank. And that means that, you know, we're all about intercept marks now. And for Cameron preparing for this week, you know, his focus won't be on our clearances. His focus will be, he'll be sweating on how to prevent Lever and May, you know, having a field day and generating, you know, half of our scoring um, chains. So, you know, that's been a really big shift. And as George noted earlier, I mean, again, in terms of that idea of pulling our hair out, how often have we pulled our hair out over the years of, you know, sure, winning the contest ball, having three, four, that whole, you know, bees at the honeypot type um sort of uh, idea and then having no one to feed it out to and they're clearly they've got the outside runners on the outside of the contest now the Jordans as I said 18 uncontested possessions only two contested Cozzy um, Mibler is uh, running through the centre at times they used Melksham in the centre at the end of last year and I thought it was to get him into the game but maybe that was part of that 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 change um, and you know I think that's if you've got a track, you've got an Oliver, you've got a Vining, you know, you only need one of them at the ball. And, you know, you're going to be back track, aren't you? 70, 80% of the time, if he's in the contest, and Oliver for that matter, and Viney, they're all going to win the footy. So, you know, get the player on the outside, um, and Gus might be one of them moving forward. Get him on the outside and do some damage. Um, they, when they won their clearances, they just were kicking into a full back line and we were rebounding with ease. And, and you know, What's his name? Lever didn't even have a particularly good game. He dropped a couple of clangers, didn't he? And they scored. Um, but, you know, in normal circumstance, he would swallow them. So, um, yeah, the other player is important in that mix is Salem, as we talked about before, is that sort of outside receiver to get it forward. Um, uh, the uh, time on the ground uh, noticed that... Um, uh, Ed Langdon, Stephen May, Tomlinson had 100% time on the ground. George, you wanted to talk uh, about that? Yeah, I think um, I only noticed these statistics um, 
of course, post-game. But I think we've got something else that's being a, a change in tactics as well with the uh, reduced rotations um, that current that's currently employed. Um, we had May, Tom, Tomlinson and Langdon at a, all played 100% of the game. But we also had Gorn and Lever at 94% of the game and we had T-Mac at 93% of the game. Um, what that what that means is that um, you've got six players who basically only get rotated. Um, uh, well, Gorn, Lever and T-Mac is probably only one rotation um, out of the 75 that we've got available. Um, so you've got six players on the ground who are only going to use up one rotation. That means you can use the rotations with other players on the ground, your mids who, who can come out and run much more freshly. Um, so I think what we're seeing, and St Kilda only had one player who played uh, 100% of game time, and that was Dougal Howard. He probably had to because he had to work so damn hard for the whole game. Um, but I, th- I think this is, again, another tactical use of of uh, the those players with their uh, greater fitness. Um, you can then translate that into to an advantage on the ground of being able to get your your mids and your harder running players um, uh, that break that's that become so necessary in the game. Um, another big change, I think, that's uh, uh, probably gone unnoticed uh, uh, to this stage. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, George. Um, yeah, I hadn't sort of considered that the um, and particularly the way that's used in relation to, I guess, sort of taking advantage. Or maximising those seventy-five rotations, um, and yeah, that's uh, you know, I'm just looking at that list now, and Clayton Oliver's ninety-one percent, which is he must have have his tank right up there. Um, but then you look at a player like Hunt, only seventy-eight percent, Pickett seventy-seven, Neil Bullen seventy-six, you know, Rivers seventy-five, and Spargo seventy-five. As you say, and the other one's interesting there is Brayshaw only seventy, is getting those runners off the um, off the park and giving them a chance to to get their energy so they can get back out there and do the sort of running that out that defensive zone that I was talking about and they, not not just the defensive zone but the all team defense requires so much running you need those players with fuel in the tank um, uh, that's a really interesting point and I wonder how that lines up for other clubs we'll keep an eye on it yep uh, George anything else on intercept possessions uh, again just loving the statistics at the moment um, uh, for all teams. Uh, somebody pointed this out in Demonland again during the during the week. Um, we're at plus eleven on average for intercept marks over over the uh, opposition. The next best teams are Richmond and Essendon at five point five. So we're we're getting six more intercept marks per game at the moment. The way we're playing. Um, uh, than the opposition are getting. And I think, that, once again, this builds into this story that uh, we've been telling tonight about the change in the tactics. Um, I think Richmond have always been the uh, classic exponents of this, uh, their half-back line of, you know, or their back line of Grimes and Vloston and and uh, Asbury, Asbury and, and you know, Rance in the past. Their drive all came out of the half back line. Now we're now we're seeing the same sort of thing coming um, from our back line as well. And uh, to be even you know, ahead of uh, the premiers the way they do it at this stage, I think is a is a really telling but very good sign for us. Mm. Okay. Uh, Bim, 
Biman, you've re- written a thesis on uh, on the changes uh, since uh, 2018. We've talked about a few of them tonight. Is there anything you want to add uh, before we wrap up our game uh, talk? Yeah, just the yeah. I mean, I, I find that shift really interesting, and for a range of reasons. I mean, the other one is this has been the case for us anyway. But the notion of us being a territory team. If you listen to the players, it's really often a good way to sort of get the code because they repeat the key messages. And and that um, that footy show, the one that you referenced before on Amazon, um, Andy, they do that a lot, the players, when you hear them because it's that repetition of the key um, sort of, I guess, approach or that the team has. And one of them, if the players mentioned territory a lot now and started to last year. And by that, I think it's really you know, unlike Geelong, who are happy to, you know, kick the ball around the halfback flank, same as West Coast, to hold the game. You know, we move it forward um, like Richmond does. We look to, to gain territory um, that way. I think that's that's probably always been part of um, Goody's game, but I think it's even more the case now. The game, the, the sort of whole shift has been that little that way with Richmond. The other thing I just, on that, I'd, I'd probably the other point I'd like to sort of say is, there's been this narrative about Goody being, you know, one-dimensional, not responding, um, you know, that he's tactically always behind other coaches, um, you know, critique of his game day performance, that sort of stuff. And I think that when you're watching it week to week, that sort of tactical change can be hard to see um, uh, unless you sort of um, step back and look at it in the way that, say, George has with the stats and, and so what you know, see what it's suggesting. Um, you know, I think that it sort of really con- that shift, and I think it's been a, a quite a big tactical shift in the last three years. The tempo footy, the the less focus on clearances, that those things um, really does contradict the sort of narrative that Goody, as a coach, hasn't evolved and and is limited tactically um, and limited sort of you know we're playing old fashioned footy or um, you know I think that kudos must go to him and you know and even now there's a tendency. Even you mentioned it before to sort of give credit to Uze and Williams, um, who, you know, um, anyone but Goody. Sometimes it feels like so. Yeah, I think that you know, in the spirit of credit where it's due, um, you know, it'd be good to acknowledge what he has done well. Um, uh, we'll move. We'll move on from uh, our match talk, but before we go into to sort of changes for the Giants and sort of doing a preview of that game. Uh, our, our women's team had a fantastic come from behind uh, win against Brisbane to, to sew up a top four spot and get a, um, get a home final, um, which is fantastic. Uh, I wasn't able to, uh, to watch the game, so I'll leave it to you boys uh, to, discuss, to discuss it uh, before, and then we'll, we'll talk about a little bit about uh, who we're playing next week in the, in the girls' game. Um, so which one of you? Uh, George, you want to t- take it away? With pleasure, Andy. Um, this, this was a, the third of three fantastic games against, I think, three of the top four sides in the competition. Um, and I think all of them at some stage have actually been, in the last three weeks, have actually been at the top of the ladder. Um, and we've beaten all of them, uh, mm. despite being handed a, a, you know, a real pile of of garbage from the uh, AFL in terms of, of who we had to play. Um, we couldn't imagine a more harder draw against more harder teams in the lead up to the finals just to even get there. And everyone was hoping that we might be able to beat one. Um, I don't think every anybody thought we'd beat all three. 
Um, but that's exactly what the girls have done. And, boy, each of these games has just been sheer, utter toughness and hardness, and they've been hard-fought games. They, they weren't, um, as a result of, you know, better teams um, kicking high scores and things like that. It was just battle after battle after battle around the ground. And they just held up and did so well with it. Um, in this last game against Brisbane, the, they lost Daisy in the first 12 seconds of the game with a mm-hmm. knee injury. Um, uh, she'd been moved forward in the last couple of weeks to, to try and add some uh, something solid to the, the forward line. And you would have expected, having lost her, um, that the team might have fallen apart. Well, they just they just held together and just kept on kept on keeping on. Um, Brisbane were in a way fortunate. I think they kicked six goals only, but but they just every time they went down forward, they kicked a goal. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was uh, you know their forward. I don't know what the stats were for their forward entries, but it wouldn't have been too many. But every every time they went down there, they seemed to kick a goal. And every time we responded, every time they came back, um, three-quarter times we were 11 points down. Um, and I was thinking at the time, look, we, we, we're playing better than they are. But with, like, like I said earlier in this podcast, um, uh, I couldn't understand why we were behind on the scoreboard. The fact was we, we were. Two minutes into the final quarter, we're back in front. Um, the, the girls just... Um, threw themselves in at it again. Um, Eliza McNamara and Tyler Hanks were, were just terriers around the ball. Just fantastic the, the way they just kept on keeping on. Karen Paxman, um, who's sponsored by Demon Land, was just a rock in the middle. Um, but the young players um, are, what are, really, are what really impressing me around this side. You know, Tyler Hanks is uh, 20. Eliza McNamara is 19. Uh, Eliza, uh, Eliza Bannon, Alicia Bannon, sorry, um, uh, I think she's 19 or 20 as well. And all of them um, just put in so much in this game. It was just fantastic. And um, having lost Daisy, I thought we've, we're not going to find a target up forward. All of a sudden, Shelley Scott stands up. All of a sudden, Kate Hoare stands up. All of a sudden, Maddie Gay stands up. Um, it, it, it was just, Eden Zanka. Um, played fantastically in the middle. She she got pile driven, and it would have would have got got you twelve weeks in the NRL um, the previous week. Um, and it wasn't surprising that she wasn't as effective in that game. But in this game, she really showed exactly what she's got. Um, she was just fantastic. She's just a brute around the 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 ball. I don't know if it's right to call a girl a brute around the ball, but she she's just fantastic um, with the skills she's got and the height she's got. Um, look, the rest of the competition, even though we're playing off in effectively an elimination final this week, the rest of the sides will be hoping that they're not going to come up against Melbourne. Um, Fremantle, I think, will be seriously worried because uh, I think they beat Adelaide in round three or something. But other than that, they haven't beaten any of the sides in the top six. Um, they got a pretty good run into it, and we've beaten them only two weeks ago at home, at uh, over at Fremantle in you know thirty five degree heat or something similar. Um, so the girls should be really really proud of themselves and uh, for the club as well as themselves. So well done to them, and we hope to see a big crowd out at Casey this weekend. Mm. And um, yeah, it was a fantastic game, wasn't it? The um, a, a bit of uh, brick bats and 
bouquets are bouquet, George, is that your knowledge about um, uh, the, our women's team is just fantastic. I'm just each week super impressed with how well you know the team and, um, uh, and you know, pretty much everything about the team. The, uh, the brick bat was the, um, a friend uh, who I went to the footy happened to listen last week to the podcast and pointed out the fact that none of us knew the, the final six, um, how that worked, thought that was a bit of an oversight for people professing to love the AFLWs. <laughs> no, but, but I think in fairness to us, I don't think they had actually released uh, the way it would work, or well, not that I was aware of anyway, because I had sort of searched it out and until okay, uh, well, there this we week they released it. Um, so unless it was public knowledge. Yeah, so. <laughs> and I, I didn't to be honest, realised the significance of winning, giving us that chance to play at Casey. Um, I thought you've, you've summed it up perfectly, George. I really enjoyed it. It's another game I've you know, really enjoyed the last, you know, all season, but particularly the last four games. And, um, you know, we've beaten, as you point out, we've beaten all of the teams that are, um, you know, favourites for this flag at different points, North Melbourne, Adelaide, uh, Frio and all but Collingwood. Um, so they're our, I, I guess, the hurdle that we'd have to clear um, potentially to get to, to win a flag. I don't know how they're travelling at the moment. I thought, you know, just to add, uh, I thought you've summed it up perfectly, George. The A couple of highlights for me was the goal Scott kicked was just an absolute ripper off the ship. One hand off the ground, picked it up and kicked it across a body. It was just a perler of a goal. Um how well Hanks moves, uh, you know, and how clever she is. Similar with Gay. Uh, and I thought Bannon didn't get many touches but had some really influential moments where um, she had the ball and ran, ran and carried and got good, um, you know, speaking of territory, she got good territory. And it's really interesting watching the women's game, the sort of pressure you feel about get it forward, get it forward, because if territory is important in uh, the men's game, it's even more important in um, uh, the women's game because the scores are, are lower. So it's a bit like, you know, you can't score from the back line as easily. You can't transition as quickly. Um, but the Ds are really prepared to take that short kick on, aren't they, George, in terms of, you know, sticking to their, to their approach and trying to hit up the targets and move it Prop, you know, tick tack it down the ground as opposed to just dump kicking it. The other couple of thoughts were there was Casey put on a you know, Brisbane must have been wondering what the hell was happening because uh, you didn't see it, but the, the game started in perfect sunshine. It was beautiful looking day for footy. About fifteen minute mark, it just it was like a tornado ripped through the place. It was raining, the wind picked up. It looked like 30, 40 knots ripping through there. Ten minutes later, it was back to sunshine. So. Uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, and then finally, final thought was Scott was interviewed afterwards. I don't know if you saw it, George, um, and was asked about Daisy going down. And she, uh, the inference was, well, you know, you did well with her not in the team. And she sort of bristled a bit to say, look, you know, I think we're, I forget exactly what she said, but it was the tone of it was, you know, we're good enough team to win without without Daisy. Thanks very much. Yeah, I like that. Um, uh, B man, I'm not sure if you saw the uh, the post I put up on on the match day thread. It was yesterday. Um, uh, it was uh, some stats from someone from Twitter, uh, Gemma Bastiani, who who does statistics for AFLW, and I think you called this um, earlier 
in the year in one of our first, I think in our first podcast when we were talking about the AFLW, uh, Eden Zanka, um, that he wasn't really working out in the foot forward line, not doing enough work, and 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 Gemma has has done her average stats round one to five and then done the comparison of round six to nine when she's moved into the mid being sort of moved into a more midfield role um and her disposal stats have just gone up she was averaging 10 she's now 19 tackles was 1.6 now 3.8 inside 50s 1.4 now 3.8 uh clearances 1.8 now three uh, intercepts 1.8 now 4.3 and meters gained was 138 now 332 so wow, just looking at that that's incredible no, i hadn't seen that i mean that's you know that's basically like getting a new player in at midway point of the season isn't it that's fantastic and as george pointed out or maybe it was great for any last week or so moving daisy forward she wasn't having a fantastic season either up to that point um do we know how her knee is what the situation is uh, oh, sorry, Andy. No, you go. You go ahead, George. Uh, the last I heard, heard was uh, was a medial. Um, she won't be available this week from from the reports, but they're hoping that she might be available the week after. Um, uh, it'll be nice to have it have her there, but um, you've, it's, yeah, it's just a case of medials aren't aren't that bad, relatively speaking. Um, so there's a chance there, um, but the the, the team. The team won against uh, a top of the top of the ladder side uh, without her for the whole game. So, mm-hmm. uh, like you pointed out, Shelley Scott came good, Kate Hall came good, Maddie Gay came good. They filled the holes very well, and um, the, uh, I think the other advantage that we had was we we lost Goldrick last week as well, but uh, Meg Downey came in and just filled the hole that was available. We've got a whole series of uh, players who. Um, are available this year. Last year we were decimated by injuries, um, but could barely get a side on the park at, at some stages. And this, but this year, those are really the uh, that and um, uh, Neve McAvoy um, had an injury earlier on in the season. She hasn't come back, but we've got a, a number of players who've got uh, experience and knowledge and skills uh, sitting in the sidelines who who uh, are ready to come back in this year. So. Um, I, th- I think we're in a good position against Fremant- Fremantle in the coming week. They've got to travel uh, back again to um, to Melbourne uh, to play. Um, it's a completely different game as played over there. Um, so, like I said, we're hoping for the best this week. We've we've proven ourselves against them. I think they can do it quite easily again. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh, Gemma Bastiani has also uh, compiled the. Um, the top six versus each other in, in 2021. Um, we lead that uh, four wins and one loss. We've we've played all all five other teams. Uh, only one other team has played all five other teams, and that's Brisbane. Uh, they're on three wins and two losses. Um, Adelaide two wins uh, two wins two losses. Collingwood two wins two losses. Uh, Frio and North one win and three losses uh, to the other teams. Uh, so we've we've certainly performed the best against the best. Um, so hopefully that uh, translates into into the finals. Um, uh, the you know if we can get over this week, the the next two weeks, uh, I believe we have to go to um, go through Adelaide. Um, we've beaten them once, but we've got to play them there. So that's a, a different ball game altogether. Yeah. Um, 
how good, just a final thing with AFLW, how good is it um, to be able to watch two games of footy that you're both completely like absorbed in, two Melbourne football club games, um, you know, the last few weekends, the last two in particular with the men's game and the women's game on the same weekend. It's just like it's, you know, it's catnip for D's fans. <laughs> All right, uh, let's let's move on. Uh, best of luck to the to the girls. They play. What day are we playing on, uh, George? Uh, Saturday, one o five. The girls here, yeah. The Casey Fields. <laughs> Excellent. Um, uh, all right, um, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, we have uh, changes. Uh, GWS Giants Sunday six ten uh, p.m. Uh, I'm always, you know, do we change a winning lineup or not? Uh, I put up a post on on Facebook today. A lot of people don't want to make uh, any changes to a winning lineup, George. Any changes? Um, it's going to be difficult, I think. Um, the only possibles um, might be Jetta and Hunt. Um, but because we don't know what roles they're necessarily necessarily playing, um, we've got Hibberts available, uh, Bowie's available to replace them if needs be. Um, uh, the, the reports from the uh, practice game against North, I think it was, was that Melcham's available. Uh, um, Door played well as well, uh, but really those those two are the only that I can I can see at this stage. Um, uh, Nathan Jones is fulfilling his role um, quite easily, coming on, being an impact player. Um, we don't, again, it's all about this role playing and, and we've got uh, the coaches, are the ones who will be able to decide what players they need to fill the roles. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what, what they think. Um, there's no reason to drop anybody in the side, though. Um, it's not like it's glaringly obvious that somebody has to go out. Um, two wins and players playing pretty well is a, is a pretty good formula. Yeah, there's lots of cliches in footy. You know, the big men don't get any smaller and you don't blame injuries. And, um, you know, there's a, a lot of nonsense ones nonsense ones too but uh you know the one that i think i hold true to is that you don't change a winning team i mean it goes you know unless you've got a viney or someone who is a absolute top shelf best 22 coming you know that no one's gonna sort of get their nose out of joint it sort of from a culture perspective it's a really tough thing to do to ask your your players to perform in a particular way particularly as George notes the sort of the really thing at footy these days is everyone playing their role and doing what their job is and if they do do that to then drop them you know that you, you do that so that's a risky thing to do because then you're um you know, it puts a it sort of cuts against the message of of you know do your job and you know so like someone like Hunt for instance, he may well have done his job and we don't know what that was, but let's say it was Butler and he shut Butler down and um, you know only got you know his nine ten possessions or whatever it was might have been eight, um, you know, but he's sacrificed his game to to play his role, um, then you know to bring a Hibbert in for him for instance. Yeah, that that that's a can be a difficult thing to do. So you know, it's a it's a truism. Footy, you keep the winning team, and that, that you know they played a great game of footy. Um, it would be tough to drop any of them. A lot of pressure on. Well, pressure will probably be starting to mount for GWS 
uh, given given that uh, they're 0-2. I think in a you know there'll be more pressure in the weeks to come if they keep losing. But it's starting drums are starting to beat uh, for them. Um, uh, how do you see the game uh, going, uh, B man? Uh, tactics wise, well, it's interesting. There's, I mean, there's a couple of competing things there in terms of the psychology. I reckon, um, from our perspective, you know, I think that every demon fan you know, would say the same thing. You know, this is a game that we're worried about. Where you know, we were two um, two dollars thirty or two dollars thirty five outsiders for the Saints game. They're the ones we win. That's what these fans would say. It's flipped this week. We're a dollar sixty-two. They're the two thirty-five outsider, despite it being their home their home game. Despite them nominally being a you know we're certainly a better performing team over the last four or five years, three four years. Um, we're the favourites coming in. You know these are the games that make Melbourne fans the most nervous. I reckon. Um, yep. <laughs> and for good reason. You know this whole thing about can you trust Melbourne? It'll come up in the media this week. You know, I can guarantee you we'll be reading stuff from Gary Lyon and, you know, whoever. People will be saying things along those lines. So from that perspective, you wouldn't be a D's fan if you weren't nervous. Um, you know, so I think that then the opposite, it provides a huge opportunity, doesn't it? So the opportunity is for us to trust our system, to trust our maturity. You know, if we're on, I think, you know, for us, if we're on and that means that, all of the players are doing their defensive running. So the um, particularly like the players like the Olivers and the Brayshaws and the um, those mids, um, defensive running so critical. You know, Jordan is doing that that running. I think you know you've got Spargo doing that running. Nibbler, we're on collectively in that from that defensive two way running aspect, and um, you know we're switched on in terms of keeping our defensive structure set up properly. Um, they're going to struggle to to kick a winning score um, against us, and I'm I'm really confident um, we'll win. So for me, it's if we're psychologically ready for the game, then we'll win. And for me, that's not the coaching staff. This is hundred percent on the players. That's what you know. I really believe the coaches can do all of things, do all the you know the rah rahs and the talks, and you know make sure they do their job to get the players in the optimal position to win. But ultimately, it's the players and this is their first opportunity of 2021 season to put a, a flag down because the first two games have allowed us to put that flag down and now's our chance um, but the opposite is the Giants is they're under massive pressure as a footy club um, you know I'll, I'll, here's my tip they lose this there'll be talk following this about Cameron's position um, because they'll be down three zip having made a flag two years ago um, it's as big a drop off really in some respects as Adelaide uh, after that they got touched up by uh, Richmond uh, then you know they've been in the wilderness ever since um, they they lost it, it, at home in a game they shouldn't have lost there was a controversial umpiring decision but they should have won that game um, they go to Perth 30 degree heat they get beaten by a team that they were overwhelming favourites to beat. Um, they travel back, wouldn't have been back in their beds till well after midnight on a Sunday. Um, and then we're talking about it beforehand. Is that their their home game? But they've got to travel to Canberra from Sydney, so they'll, they'll be under massive pressure. Um, but to be honest, I don't think their game plan stacks up. They're still in that sort of that 
that game, that transition from a contested ball clearance team that we were at. Um, and it's no small thing to change your tactical um, setup the way we have. I think there are a lot of challenges and they've struggled with it. And I don't know, And if you watch any more of that, um, that Amazon series. So I haven't got, I haven't got to the point where, um, uh, where Coniglio has been dropped. Um, but I must say I have not been impressed with either Cameron nor Coniglio, and I don't know if that's just the way they've presented it to us um, because often with reality programming, which effectively this is, uh, they can sort of, you know, skew the narrative uh, to, to present it in a, in a particular way. And I'm not, but just hearing Coniglio talk, as a captain, as a leader, I don't see him as being a leader, um, uh, like um, like other 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 players I've seen in the past. Like I, I look at a guy like May, who isn't our captain, but just how he he sort of is a general on the field. How he I've seen him talk to players, just on the limited things I've seen. But when I've seen Coniglio in the rooms, he just doesn't command my attention. I got bored, sort of listening. To him, mm. I'm almost falling asleep, um, and I don't think just because you're a good player, and obviously his form was down last year, and that may have affected even his leadership ability. But I didn't see he, he didn't strike me as someone who can get fire up his troops. Um, so no, yeah, but I, I'm not up to the point where he got dropped. But yeah, yeah. Well, the reason I ask is because. I don't think they did push a narrative particularly. I thought that was one of the strengths of the shows. So it was very focused on the individuals within it. So Canilio, um, so it didn't feel like that they were pushing a particular sort of narrative that these guys are bad or this club's good. Or that, and in fact, I would have preferred, I think, as I said last week, more of that, more of the insight into the operation of the footy club. The reason I asked was my vibe was just from even with the limited information they had, it didn't strike me as, um, I don't know, it just didn't strike me as a sort of super positive environment. And I agree with what you're saying about Cogs, how he comes across as a captain and his self-doubt. I mean, that was part of the story. They were exploring that. But what I was surprised at is the seeming, and again, this it might be as, exactly as you say, this is how maybe they haven't um, given a proper full picture of the club. It didn't seem they were wrapping the right supports around him. Um, and even the decision to drop him, they picked him the next week. It was like, what you don't that doesn't make sense in the context of of a season or how you man manage people. It just didn't make sense to do that. Um, and so th- th- that was the reason I, I think that they're at a sort of difficult moment as a footy club. The AFL would be super worried, I reckon, because where do you go from here if they have to sack uh, Cameron? Um, and I just don't think their game plan stacks up. They don't score enough. They didn't all last season. They couldn't move the ball for at all. I watched a bit of that game against Frio. They were just hopeless. They've lost Reed, who's out for two games, lucky not to be more, or arguably if you think he got pushed into that contest. So that's huge for them as well. Um, you know, again, though, it's sort of these are all of the things that set up for Melbourne heartbreak, don't they? Yes. <laughs> the, the the other th- I, I watched the uh, their game against St Kilda as well. They've had a they've had a pretty hard run that, that was played when you know, most of Sydney was underwater, including the ground, and um, that they were absolutely exhausted at the end of that game. Both both sides. Uh, then they've had to go to Perth and, as, as Ben Manister has said, uh, play in 30-degree heat and get absolutely pantsed in that game. 
but I think uh, what Binman was alluding to before is exactly right. The, the the loud banging noise in the background is the premiership window closing um, for uh, GWS. A couple of years ago, they had Cameron, uh, Finlayson and Patton as a very, very potent forward line. None of those players um, are currently on the ground. Finlayson may, just may be back this week, but, but very unlikely. Uh, Hogan, they've recruited. He's not not available this week as well. Um, Binman's noticed that uh, they're not kicking goals, and that's their fundamental problem. They have no forwards other than Toby Green. Um, so he he Toby Green actually kept kept uh, them in the game against St Kilda. With without him, it would have been an easy win for the Saints. Um, Coniglio and uh, Kelly look like they both want to be traded. There's no enthusiasm coming from either of them. Uh, Taranto's, as a result, is severely down on where he has been in the past. Um, they're just not the team that they were two years ago when everybody thought, how long is it going to be before they take out their first premiership with the depth of talent that they've got? Well, the talent's walked out the door and the ones that have stayed just aren't looking the same as what they were when they when they have arrived. So... But uh, again, with the MFCSS uh, oh, running exactly. strongly, um, this is the game that we should should account for them pretty easily. But um, uh, at the end, yeah, you know, they're, they're still a solid side and a, and a reliable side. They're not going to be premiers- uh, challenging for any premierships, even finals. But from our perspective, these are the sides that we've got to beat. We've got to beat the St Kilders. We've got to beat the GWS. Um, if we're going to play finals this year and um, then you've got to be, beat these middle of the range and lower sides. We can't afford to throw these these games away. Uh, and it was pointed out today that uh, if we win this game against uh, GWS, it'll be the first time since 2005 that we've won the first three games of the season. That's a pretty pretty uh, nice record to get, get out of the way. Um, but our opportunities are certainly available to us this week. Totally. And if you've got to, you know, just... History is in a guide. You've got to bank your points early, don't you? Not many teams turn around their seasons as we're touching on last week. You've just got to bank your early wins. They're just gold, total gold. And it's the ones where you look back in the season and go, you know, four points here, four points there. I mean, obviously they all add up the uh, but it's the psychology, isn't it? Uh, suddenly, you know, there's no talk about us being under pressure. There's talk about the Giants. And as I say, if they lose this week, the jungle drums will be pretty loud about Cameron. Um, and, you know, the whole narrative of has he lost the players will will be more than just whispers. It'll be a shout, I reckon. Um, the other thing for the Ds in this game, and I, I think on the St Kilda game, it is worth remembering that that, that game did take a lot out of them, um, as it did the Giants, the um, the game up in Sydney. Um, that it didn't look, even though they had plenty of time, Saints, um, in that last 10 minutes of that um, last quarter, you know, we, we allowed them the time to get back into it. But to be honest, they didn't look like they even had any petrol left in the tank to do so. Um, King and Membry both shank kicks from 30, 40 metres out in that last quarter, which just looked pure fatigue. You know, they were just running down the clock just as we were. It was a funny vibe at the ground, actually, because it was only three goals a difference. Plenty of time on the clock, but the energy in the at the ground was, uh, you know, of a Melbourne victory. Um, but we've got another day's. So they're coming, as George says. They had that game, then the, the the trip to Perth in the heat, um, and all of the travel associated with that. 
yes, they've got a full seven days to recover, but we've got eight days. And with the um, the footy way it is, um, with the full quarters, uh, the, the the rotations, that extra day's recovery is super important. And um, you know, a player, a, a, someone like Burgess will be taking full advantage of that. And Melbourne, you know, couldn't be in a better um, position. We've got few injury worries. We've got players banging down the door to get into that team. Um, you know, we're never going to be in a better position to go three zip. Pinman just mentioned the uh, pressure that's uh, going to mount on Cameron if this, if they're unsuccessful this week. Andy, um, what would be the situation uh, if we were the opposite and had lost our first two games and were zero two going into this game? And uh, what do you think would be the the uh, question about whether Demon Land servers could uh, <laughs> need it, needed to be upgraded because. Um, one of the one of the th- consequences of all of that sort of scenario would have been the questions about whether Oliver resigns um, at, by the end of this season. Yeah, well, that would be that'd be huge. Uh, the, just the the talk with Goodwin as well, not just on Demonland, but in the media. I mean, Cameron isn't getting it yet. He'll probably get it if they go zero and three, and definitely if they go zero and four. But uh, if we were zero and two, that'd already be on Goodwin's back. Um, sure. The media. Uh, the vultures would be circling already. Um, so thankfully, we're not in that position. And if we do win and go three and zero, it really gives him a bit more breathing room and allows him not to sort of panic and do, do silly things and can let us sort of do what we're doing and continue on, continue rolling on. Yeah, and we've got um, did, Rowan got two weeks too, didn't he? Yes. So yeah, so Rowan will miss our game. Yeah. Yeah. So we've you know the for once the. Planets are aligning a little bit in terms of uh, luck um, with that sort of stuff. So Geelong, you know, of course we, I'm getting ahead of myself here with one week at a time, but saying I'm not playing, I can do it. Um, if we do win this weekend, which I expect we will, I'll put that on the table, I think we'll win. Um, we'll go through zip. We play Geelong at the G the following Sunday, I think, um, without Rowan. And without Dangerfield, and Dangerfield's basically a forward and Rowan's basically a forward, um, you know, I think that we're not, you know, get too many opportunities to to grab them. I'm not sure whether Cameron will be back, George, um, by then, um, but um, or, you know, for his first game, um, you know, we won't be in a much better position to beat, knock off uh, Geelong early in the season either. Yeah, and, and uh, I think Geelong were more than lucky to uh, get a win last mm. week. Absolutely. Um, that they... Especially down at Sleepy Hollow, um, Geelong are not what they uh, have been for the last couple of years. I think the age um, factor is starting to uh, take a toll very early on uh, this yeah. season. It usually waited until the end of the season, uh, yeah, but they, the, but the longer longer quarters uh, I think is affecting them already. Yeah, they got, they got out to a good start. They kept Lockie Neal very very quiet, and that that helped them. Uh, but uh, yeah, they just got run down in the end, and thought. They were very lucky mm. with assistance from the umpire that yeah. definitely a free kick. But look, these things happen, especially at uh, you know places like Sleepy Hollow and uh, Optus Stadium. <laughs> I'm sure that wouldn't have got paid a free either in Perth. Um, Speaking of luck, how, I mean, how's Brisbane's luck? If they had any, you know, any bad luck, it'd be the only luck they've got because they. That was a free kick every day of the week. It was one of the worst non-decisions um, that I can recall in terms of uh, it was just mystifying that that wasn't paid because, you know, 
he had all the time in the world to get rid of it. And then coming into that game, you know, at three quarter or halfway through it, people were told to leave because at, of the, the beginning um, of the game, COVID yeah. thing in Brisbane. And I thought, well, if they're kicking out Hodge and Kerry, they should just get rid of all the commentary team while they're at it so they can take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, and then they're on a bus to go back to Brisbane and get told, no, hop off the bus, you're staying in Melbourne. So they have to stay in Melbourne play in, on Thursday night um, uh, this week. And there's talk about them having to stay all the way through at least till I think they play, is it north the following week or? Uh, yeah, yeah, look, in it, Ballarat, it, might be, it might be a while. There seem to be cases galore, so it depends how this lockdown works. But uh, my dad actually sent me a, um, a thing uh, on WhatsApp saying there was a new case confirmed on the Gold Coast as well. So there, that that's, could impact uh, G- uh, GWS, uh, Gold, the Suns as well. well. I think they're playing in Adelaide this week. I don't know if they've even left. Uh, yeah, they've got them out the sun, Yeah, they've put the Suns on the, on the plane to Adelaide today yeah. already. Okay, yeah. so they're there, but then they've got a game and metric on next week, and so they, it looks like they might stay on the road as well. Um, yeah, my heart absolutely bleeds for Brisbane after last yeah. year, where they didn't have to leave the Gabba. Well, that, that, uh, someone was talking to someone today, and they said, "Oh, poor Brisbane." I said, "What do you mean they had a dream run last year, so uh, they can stay on the road for all I care?" The um, uh, COVID god is a is a you know a tough a tough one. Yeah. Um, in just in terms of our, we didn't talk about our injuries, but uh, Burjo um, uh, put out his video on YouTube uh, uh, just in regards to our injuries. Uh, pretty much got through unscathed. Uh, everyone who was in that one to two weeks is sort of available. That's the Lockhards, Joel Smith, um, and I think it was Mitch Brown. Uh, they're all available to be, I think, play for um, Casey this week. Uh, the interesting thing as well, uh, he said that... Um, uh, Wiedemann was two weeks away, but he said that they put up a graphic and they had um, uh, Ben Brown as being three to five weeks away, which he's sort of been three to five weeks the last two weeks and four to six within the last five, six, seven weeks. Uh, so I don't know what's happening there, but he did then say he'll probably start playing or training or playing at least for Casey within two weeks. He mentioned both Wiedemann and Brown playing within two weeks. So I don't know what that three to five graphic uh whether the, he got something wrong there or not sure so hopefully we get to see ben brown sooner rather than later i don't think casey's got a uh, another practice game until the 10th of april um in any case so there's not going to be the opportunity to give these guys um actual match time um in the interim so um, regardless of anything you're sort of looking at three weeks away at the best for for any of them um but um, uh, people like Ben Brown, who've been out with with a knee uh, injury, means that uh, it takes a time to build up yeah. their conditioning again. So not unexpected, I suppose. It was disappointing that it seems to have taken you know, the infamous four to six, where it's more like mm-hmm. eight to ten. Yeah. Again. And then who knows? Who knows? Once he comes back to running, you don't know if there's going to be setbacks or fluid yeah. in the knee or anything like that. Uh, yeah. So hopefully, there's none of that. But yeah, until they can start running on the track, we won't know. Uh, yeah, won't know it's, a, it's a nice position to uh, to be in, and even even Magic Door, I, I I didn't see anything or I didn't hear any reports, but he kicked two goals uh, in the practice match. Uh, interestingly, Fraser Rosman kicked three. 
Mm. Um, so that that may add another string to the bow if he keeps performing. I'm pretty sure that um, Brown has been running though on the track. Okay, yep. I think I think there were reports of it on Demonland a couple of weeks ago that he's been running in rehab. Or I might be wrong on that because that's a mystery. I, I can't read everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, look, I might be wrong on that. <laughs> no, no, you met but, me, man. Yeah, I mean, it goes without saying that winning's important. Like that's an obvious. But the you know the advantage again of having started to zip is that the sort of narrative around Brown and Wiedemann, you know, it goes quiet, doesn't it? Because suddenly it's not the pressure. Oh, you know, it's so important that Brown comes back, particularly with T Mac playing so well. Well, I was going to say T Mac's form has been fantastic, and yeah. he's kicked his couple of goals every game. But he's doing a lot around the ground. He, oh, yeah, he's yeah, in yeah. score involvements, and he's taking eight, nine marks. Yep. It's, working up the ground, taking marks in the forward line. And as George says, he's playing 100% of the game. And the other one on 100%, I know George mentioned it, it's incredible that Langdon <laughs> ran 100%. I mean, what what is that about? <laughs> Jesus, I couldn't do 100% of sitting in, the, <laughs> in, this, in my chair. But, I mean, that's, that's incredible. So, the no, you're right. And then, but, you know, winning means that Brown coming back, Wiedemann coming back, is a bonus as opposed to a must. We need them back. So, you know, again, it just feeds into a sort of positive cycle. And and we've all seen seasons that have gone off the rails and like you never, club never seems to be able to get them back on the rails. And it's the same. It's banked those early points. And, you know, then when the losses do, you do lose a couple, they're not such such a disastrous thing. And uh, how's this for MFCSS? Uh, we'll just don't when we're five and zip, six zip, seven zip, the season gets cancelled. <laughs> <COVID. laughs> no. Good night. Good night, everyone. Need to, there needs to be some sort of fine for that. <laughs> That's like, not that I'm at all superstitious, but yeah. <laughs> um, just on the winning thing too, uh, just the other thing I, uh, before we finish up, the, I wanted to flat, uh, to say that, Again, it was great being at the footy, um, and I was there for 15 minutes before, and I had a, you know, I, I really like it up high and um, had my binoculars as I always bring my binoculars that I was watching um, prepare um, early on. So I was there probably actually 25 minutes. So, um, and our team were down in below me in the city end, sort of warming up, um, and there was real evident um, sort of camaraderie amongst the whole team, but in particular with a couple of players with Goody who seemed like in a really ebullient mood and, um, you know, uh, they were, she was sharing jokes with Joan uh, and with Langdon. Langdon gave, gave him a big sort of uh, hug and, like, there was they were laughing uh, about something. Um, and Goody seemed super sort of positive as well. I mean, it's easy, I guess, better when you're winning, but uh, nonetheless he seemed sort of quite relaxed in the post-match presser presser and you know the general vibe on the field and around the club seems really positive at the moment well that's what happens when you win um (laughs) (laughs) all right boys i think uh, we might uh end it there uh thank you very much uh b-man thank you george and uh we'll be back uh we'll be back next week go d's go demon women go demon men indeed